It's Tuesday, June 15th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill with me today, Yasser El Shimi. Good to see you, sir. Good to see you, Chris. We've got video game news, we've got automotive news. We're going to start in the aerospace industry. The United States and the European Union have resolved a 17 year trade dispute involving Boeing and Airbus. They're suspending tariffs for, I think, the next five years and not surprisingly, on on the resolution of the dispute, shares of both Airbus and Boeing up a little bit this morning. It's a day to cheer for sure for uh, both Airbus and Boeing shareholders. And let me just say the best business after a monopoly is a duopoly. And that's exactly what we have here. Airbus has a 45% market share to Boeing's 43%. Um, and so policymakers on both sides of the Atlantic are not actually trying to get more, more competition in that sector. Um, in fact, they, you know, both American and European governments have for long showered both companies with subsidies, um, and they've been litigating each other over it uh, at the World Trade Organization. Um, and we have seen over the past couple of few years, the Trump administration had imposed duties worth roughly $7.5 billion on European uh, pro- products after the WTO ruled that the EU had given unfair subsidies to Airbus. And shortly afterward, the EU imposed tariffs about for about $4 billion uh, on US products, also on the back of another WTO ruling that the US had given illegal aid to Boeing. Uh, but what we're seeing now is that probably both sides have finally woken up to realize that this cozy duopoly uh, in the plane making industry cannot be taken for granted any longer. Uh, we have seen a slew of plane manufacturers springing up in China, Russia, Japan, Canada, and Brazil uh, over the past decade or so. Uh, and I imagine the success of the Commercial Aircraft Corporation of China or COMAC um, is really weighing on the minds of, of Western government officials here. Yeah, I mean, th- these are, I have to say, as an investor, I absolutely agree with you, with your opening statement, that anytime you can invest in a monopoly, you should do it. Anytime <laughs> you can invest in a duopoly, you have to take a long look at it. And yet, even though these have been the two dominant players for a long time, I've never felt compelled to buy shares of either um you know over the long term they've rewarded shareholders but i th- this seems like the stock should be up more i get that it, they're up slightly on a day when the market as a whole is down so you know maybe if the market was flat we'd be talking about these stocks up 2 3% something like that but right. i don't know it 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 doesn't seem like the the buy signal that maybe some would have thought would come at the end of, and again, it's a 17-year trade dispute between the EU and the US. Yeah, so I mean, as I said before, it's the second best thing after Monopoly. So for all of those uh, investors who bought shares in the FANG names, you know, Facebook, uh, Amazon, uh, you know, uh, Netflix, and so on, they have benefited tremendously from the fact that many of these companies effectively own the sector that they operate in. Um, And, you know, for example, Google search is is something like, I don't know, has a a market share of over 90% of search in the United States. Uh, That's that's just uh, incredible. 
However, the reason many investors may have not been as keen on this, as I said, duopoly of companies, Airbus and, and Boeing, may be related to the fact that the aviation industry in general tends to be cyclical as opposed to a secular uh, sort of growth, uh, similar to those uh, software companies. So, you know, they can be exposed to fluctuations in, in economic cycles and travel demand and so on. But I would say also that over the past 10, 10, 10 years or so, um, both, you know, companies have done very well, um, you know, in terms of share price and, and performance, but also, you know, demand for global travel has just exploded. Um, and that is thanks to a more connected world we live in, the gro population growth all around the world, but also the fact that many uh, people in countries like China, India, and elsewhere um, now have the economic means to travel around the world um, and would like to do so. So uh, this has def definitely benefited both com companies tremendously. Vroom is in the news today. The online used car dealer intends to offer $500 million in convertible notes and then use the proceeds for a range of corporate purposes, including investing in new technologies. Shares of Vroom down 5%. Is, uh, is that... What do you read into that? Because one way to read that is investors don't have faith that management is going to do a good job of spending half a billion dollars. Yeah, so, you know, again, for those who may not be familiar with Vroom, you know, Vroom is an e-commerce platform for buying and selling used car in the U.S. They have about a $5 billion market capitalization. So when you get $500 million, when you issue $500 million in debt, that's a big chunk change for a company that size. And here's the thing, Chris, like it's really expensive to run a national dealership for used cars with all the logistics, regulations and customer services associated with that. Just ask Carvana. Uh, but Carvana is actually close to becoming profitable uh, as it benefits from scale and very high rates of customer satisfaction compared to other uh, dealerships in the business. Um, you know, and this success, I would say, of the Carvana model that has inspired many copycats in the business, including Vroom, Shift Technologies, and even in Europe, uh, companies like Kazoo in, uh, in Britain and O2One in, uh, in Germany. So, you know, there has been a secular shift as well in the way that we buy and sell cars. And I'm happy to talk about that if, if you would like. Please do, because, you know, one of the thoughts I had when I was looking through this story on Vroom and, and other stories over the past few weeks about car buying in general is this seems like, and not to heap pressure on the management at Vroom or Carvana or any other place for that matter, but this really seems like a good environment yeah. <laughs> for uh, people in this line of work. There is huge demand for cars. There is not a ton of supply or certainly less supply than we've seen in the past. So, if Room and Carvana can't get closer to profitability over the next 12 months, uh, they may not be going about this the right way. You're absolutely right, Chris. So, you know, all over the news recently, we've been hearing about housing prices and lumber prices and all of those other things whose prices have soared lately and used cars are actually no exception they're they're hard to find and they're expensive to purchase um just a few months ago i wanted to trade in my 
car for a minivan as my family grew. And I requested a quote in December for my car from an online dealership. And it was good, but not one that wowed me, let's say. A month later and many miles later on the car, I, I, I put in another request for a quote and the quote came back up full 10% and I sold. And I'm sure if I were to sell that car now, I would get even more for it. Um, and I've been hearing anecdotally from friends that their cars are worth as much now as they were when they bought them two or three years ago, which is absolutely crazy. Um, but against all of this is the background of a structural shift that's taking place in the way we purchase and sell our cars. You know, the pandemic lockdown has effectively accelerated the trend where online used car dealerships increasingly gain market share against, you know, your average neighborhood dealership. Um, and this trend is now supercharged by many factors. So for example, we have shortage in new cars because of the microchip shortage. Uh, we have low interest rates, We have, which makes it easier to borrow money and, and finance a car. Um, we have stimulus checks that came to many households in America and enable people to put a down payment on a car. Um, you also have a an economic recovery that's underway and many people are feeling better about their finances and many people have more savings than ever before. And finally, I would say the acceptance of the e-commerce as a model of transactions, even for expensive large purchases. Um, this has been validated sort of across the board. Many Americans are shifting towards e-commerce as their first choice of how to conduct business and how to transact. And you know, the used car industry is is no exception here. So when you look at the various businesses involved here, is are there enough factors going in the direction of businesses like Carvana and Vroom that as an investor, you think to yourself, okay, the, I, I, I want to put a little money to work uh, in this industry? Or do you look at this and say, now come back to me when you're profitable? <laughs> <laughs> so if you waited for Amazon to be profitable before you invested in it, you would have waited for a long time and you would have probably lost quite a bit of change. And I actually am very bullish on this sector and I personally own shares of Carvana and I've done so for, for over two years. And the reason is I believe that the unit economics of the business is actually favorable, especially to companies that can scale as well as Carvana has so far. And in fact, that company is close to becoming profitable, uh, unlike other competitors in, in that business. And despite the, the much higher comps than, say, Vroom, it is actually growing twice as fast as Vroom. Um, so that is one company I really like in, in this market. Here's a business we've never talked about in the more than 2,000 episodes of Market Foolery that we've done over the past decade plus. CD Projekt, which is a video game company based in Poland. Uh, for those not familiar with CD Projekt, they may be familiar with Cyberpunk 2077, which um, uh, I don't know if that's their flagship game, but it's certainly a well-known game. And shares of CD Projekt are up 6% on reports that Cyberpunk, uh, Cyberpunk 2077 is being added back to the PlayStation Store. Is this... I have a couple of questions here, but first, is it safe to assume that the, the version of the game that's being added back is a new and improved version of the game? 
Uh, I would hope so, Chris, because the first version that they released was an absolute disaster. <laughs> and that is uh, an understatement, maybe. Um, now, you know, as you said, CD Projekt is a Polish company that, that makes video games, and they've sort of shut from, let's say, out of nowhere to become a household name, a household name with a couple of AAA video game titles, including one you might be familiar with, Chris, The Witcher, uh, which became a Netflix show later, um, and the other one, Cyberpunk. Um, now, for those who, again, who may not be familiar with Cyberpunk, it's a game that makes you feel like you're in the midst of a psychedelic-infused dystopian future. Um, it was very unique, very avant-garde when it was first released several years ago, and the gaming community became extremely loyal to this company as a result of both of these games. Now, when, you know, gamers were sitting at home in the lockdown last year, waiting for Cyberpunk 2077, and there was a lot of fanfare and a lot of pent-up anticipation uh, for that release. Yet, it seems that the studio, uh, CD Projekt here, released it before the game was really ready for prime time. It was notoriously buggy and, in, in fact, almost unplayable on the next-gen consoles that both Sony and Microsoft had released last year. So, both Microsoft and Sony pulled the title off their digital storefronts and even offered refunds for disappointed gamers. Uh, the stock of CD Projekt predictably cratered and short interest mounted. So I, I believe about 15% of the share float of CD Projekt is shorted. So when you have any bit of good news like we had today with Sony introducing a so-called wish list button for the cyberpunk game, you're, you're bound to see a big reaction in the stock um, where we have what is called a short squeeze. So, you know, this, this news means that maybe in the near future, we're going to have a re-release uh, of Cyberpunk 2077 on the PlayStation platform. And whether or not this game is actually going to work this time <laughs> remains to be seen. And whether gamers are going to sort of race back to embrace this title again also remains to be seen. But for now, let's just say shorts are having a bad day and investors are cheering the news. Maybe I shouldn't be surprised by this, but I am surprised that the short interest on a video game company like CD Projekt is as high as it is. It, it, what do you attribute that to? Is it just uh, the thinking that they had a lot riding on Cyberpunk 2077 and they completely blew the launch of it? it you know, is the thinking that, well, if they're going to be that careless with um, you know, a franchise like that, then this is a company going to zero. Let's just say that the release of Cyberpunk 2077 should be a case to be a case study in business schools of what not to do as a management team. Um, here we had the company put a lot of effort and money into advertising the release of the game, committing their developers uh, and their programmers to an unrealistic deadline, and then just going ahead and releasing the title before it was ready to work without problems. Now, the pro the, the actual, actually, the story doesn't end there, because after it became extremely apparent to so many millions of gamers out there that this title is buggy and you know not working properly. Um, 
the management and the CEO actually stood by the title and said, no, there's nothing to fix here. There's nothing to see here. Um, this is, you know, this is a good game. And it only took for Microsoft and Sony to take almost an unprecedented step here for a major title like this to actually pull it off their storefronts and to offer refunds to gamers. Uh, it took that for for the CEO to apologize and to promise that they're going to do better and, and sort of go back to the drawing board. Well, I, I don't have uh, a stake in this, but uh, just as someone who likes to be optimistic and, and root for the average business, I'm hoping it goes well the second time around, because if it doesn't, um, then I think the shorts are completely justified in what they're doing. Absolutely. Yasser El Shimi, great talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about on The Motley Fool, may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.